0: Tumutumu paria, brako paria, fanui te ara ki a tāne.
1: Ward off post and weapons, so that the broadway to tane is opened up.
0: Enaiu i te motu tēnei te mehi ki a tātou katoa, no mai ki te nei hotaka
1: te hikā, ko Justin Maria Ho nei kia koto e Welcome to Te Ahika on Radio New Zealand National.
0: Around the country we've been enjoying some nice weather and if you've been following the Commonwealth Games, aren't the New Zealand Silver Ferns doing well? They played against Papua New Guinea this week
1: and won by 80 goals. Toke. If that's what's been happening in Delhi, India, here in Aotearoa, there's a kaupapa Māori-focused sports facility in Palmerston North, Tūtoa Sports Academy. That's nurturing our future, Temepaara George, or Danika Wipiti. It was awesome. I loved
2: it. Have you ever done anything like that before? No, not really.
0: No. Yeah, you look pretty hard
3: out. Yeah.
2: Mm.
0: But you're used to it, Brooke, sweet as.
2: Oh, Well,
0: you know, Mara. <laughs> <laughs> and we've got the down low. On the Taranaki at War Exhibition 1860 to 2010 at Puke Aareki Museum in Taranaki. Justine visits with Glenn Skipper, Po Taki, curator of Tonga, Māori.
4: If there was a dirty war, this was the dirty war. You know, the targeting of kainga, um, the targeting of industry, um, the targeting of crops, um, basically the targeting of, of the, the systems which hold together the iwi.
0: Last year, Stan Walker, no Tauranga Moana, entered reality TV show Australian Idol. Boy, that 18-year-old sure did impress the judges with his version of this.
5: Girl, I'm in love with you This ain't the honeymoon Past the infatuation phase Right in the thick of love at times we get sick of love It seems like we argue every day.
0: After weeks of competition, he won it. Justin talked to Stan Walker about his career to date and how he manages to keep his Tahamavi in check whilst being part of
6: the screen machine to we uh me nga silangin niakiwi kumau semana costera dance moana costa pobre temarae um yeah now oh, i'm in australia
1: <laughs> are you would you call yourself a mosie
6: yeah well that's what they say i just say that are just to, um just to please the aussies i guess <laughs> <laughs>
1: So, um, okay. Stan, uh, obviously, uh, I mean, I'm talking to you because you've had such a, a meteoric rise, if you will, in your um, a career as a as a singer. Um, have you sort of come down from the whole Aussie Idol win and the um, the reaction from that and all your work with that? Have you come down from it?
6: Um, like, for me, it feels like a long time ago. Like, it feel, honestly, it feels like five years ago, eh? Far out, like... I I like people were like, Oh congratulations and I was just like far out I was like I don't know why they're still cring- congratulating me, because it feels long or like it feels long ago for me but um I I've been I guess I've been so full on lately that I'll just um yeah. yeah, I've had to just um just carry on and um just stay focused on what I'm doing.
1: And hey, you heard about your nomination at the Mighty Music Awards recently, eh in Hastings?
6: Yeah, yeah, uh, that was so mean, I was gutted I couldn't come because um I was working and I I'd been in another state at that time and so I couldn't come but I did a video message and my uncle Stan um,
1: Your namesake?
6: Yeah, yeah. he um, accepted it on on my behalf
1: Yes, and all those Tauranga Moana lovely singers were there to Tautoko as well
6: Yeah,
5: yeah.
1: <laughs> How do you um, maintain or or, or stoke the, your culture your, your Māori tanga, your Taha Māori whilst living in Australia?
6: For me it was it was easy. It wasn't um, like something that I ever like. Like I didn't want to let go of. I'm really proud of being Māori and uh, you know where I come from, and I'm proud of my culture and, and our real and everything. And I actually become a little bit plastic. I far out. I come back and um, I had to do a Māori interview. And I was like far out. You gotta talk slow. I can't understand. I was like far out. But um, like uh, I love it. Eh? I you know every chance I can. I, um, I do something you know that's Got to do with home or even like I love just um singing maori, I always sing a maori song in in some of my sets I do, and, and you know just I try and show that off as best as I can,
1: so what would be your favorite Māori wayata
6: I like the old ones eh? <laughs> I like the older hymns, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably our favorite to do is um me and my whānau is um no so we always nice. do that just as a, as a family, but um um ah i like I like the old ones mm, mm. I like all the old ones.
1: <laughs> when did you move to In How long have you been there?
6: Um, we've been here for five years now. um we moved over here when I was fifteen, and um, I'm twenty next month, so it's gonna be five years oh yeah so um yeah no it's it's been mean as it's um if anything, I've actually been more proud, you know coming into Australia and because when we moved over we moved to a place called Byron Bay and it's all surfy hippie Australia. So they're the full on Aussies and I was just this rugged Mary who never wore shoes and like it was a whole different world for me and I was so proud of where I come from and who I was because the lack of culture and um in a lot of areas and, and people they don't know culture and they don't know like they have nothing, you know, to be proud of All that you know, they got all their you know their gifts and everything, and and the jobs and stuff. But like it's so good that you know you can just be Māori and be proud of that. So it's me.
1: So you moved to Australia from from Tauranga?
6: Uh, no, we moved to, from Hamilton. From Hamilton? Yeah, we were living in we were living in Hamilton.
1: Mm. Um, can we talk about your whānau, um, uh Stan? You know your uh, your your siblings, your your parents, and, and do they? Um, do they, for example, do they do they speak Te Reo? Do they hang out with other you know Maori people in, in in Australia?
6: Yeah, well, well man, because my mum and dad and uh, my brothers, they all live on the Gold Coast, so um, we just got family. Like uh, the statistics are over half of Gold Coast is owned by just by Maori people. That's not like backyards or or islanders or anybody from New Zealand. It's just Maori. So Gold Coast is practically New Zealand. <laughs> So um so we always you know we always got fun out up there um, um my mum she understands a little bit my dad's pretty <laughs> he 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 just um he just knows how to um kill the pig kill the cow make the hangi <laughs> that's all my dad does uh, my brother uh, my oldest brother speaks Maori he used to be um uh, uh, work for Hawaiki Waikato, and um that's the Maori mental health um institution so he used to work for them and he always had to speak you know Maori and. Yeah, but um, it's it's we it's something that our our family really holds um, holds dear and close to us. Like we always do the best we can, especially over here, um, just to you know keep that in our in our lives, in our everyday lives. So, um, yeah, my Must... mum does her best to teach my little brother and sister. My little brother and sister used to be fluent because you know from Kohanga and stuff, and then coming over here, gosh, they don't know anything now. Mm.
1: Stan, you have the word the, the kupu atāhua. On your neck. Yeah. Can you explain the 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 behind that? The significance of of that word that means beautiful in in, in, in English?
6: Um, yeah, um, I got a, I got a tattooed on my neck because um, I had been in a. This was a couple of years ago, and I had been in a relationship. It was kind of a bad relationship, and mm. I was a bit of a naughty boy. <laughs> and um, um, my ex girlfriend and I getting getting pre- pregnant, and um, we we you know. Like we found out we were having a girl and stuff, so I decided then to you know, that I wanted to name her Atahua. And um so I got the name tattooed on my neck and on the name that uh, the day that I got a tattooed on my neck, um, she lost a baby.
1: Oh.
6: So, um so yeah, um she lost the baby about seven and a half months pregnant to my knowledge. So, um yeah, that's that's what I named her it. and it's a it's I guess it's part of my story and part of where I come from as well. Yep. So yeah.
1: And it's a um I mean, that, that, that kupu a is 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 probably a, a reminder, yeah.
6: Yeah, right.
1: Kapai. Now you've since got um tamoko, I note on your right hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously uh, the question: what's the um the, the, the to tamoko, What's the kopep of it? Um, and, and who did it?
6: Oh, my cousin Gabe, um, from Tauranga, he, he did this. I went back because I didn't want to get it over in Australia. There's a lot of um um. <laughs> Tāmako artist over there but I just oh, it just kind of feels funny so I'm like oh yeah I'll go back home to get it it feels more legit <laughs> yeah you know, not
1: hey I totally understand you know to go back to where you're from your, your Tūranga Waiwai wai, essentially to, to have that done yep no that's totally understandable
6: everybody does it as a as a trend and you know it does look good but I don't want to to be another trend or just another Tāmako and just from another artist I like I want it you know, someone from my family, and I wanted to mean something. That's why I put it on my hand like a glove, because I didn't want to be like everybody else, and I wanted to really mean something. And so it, this is um, just um, just a little bit of my whakapapa. papa, like it's got my baby on there, and um, my koro and my nan, and hmm. just um, that's from like you know Te from where I'm from, and my marae and um, yeah, just. But it's all the people that are dead on my on this arm. I'll get a I'll get a life one. <laughs> I'll get another thumb. Before, but oh. Oh, so <laughs> these are just acknowledging the people who were in my life.
1: Who were in your life? Yep. And so your left hand could possibly be, you know, your 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 funny who are still with us.
6: Yeah, might have to get my whole arm done.
1: <laughs> Stan um, Summer Beats 2010 in Australia. You are going to be performing. Um, uh, hitting the stage, I should say, with Flow Rider, uh, Jay Sean, and Travis McCoy. You must be looking forward to that.
4: Oh,
6: fully. I just, I just can't wait to get on the road. See, I love my thing is I love doing live performances because anybody can make a track. Anybody, especially these days, man. Auto tune can make you a star. You can get a number one hit from auto tune, but it doesn't make you a great performer or anything. And I'm not saying that I'm, you know, a great performer, but that's something that I pride myself on. And and I just can't wait to hit the stage, especially with the caliber of artists that I'm you know, working alongside, you know, Jay Sean, Flowrider, Soldier Boy, Trevi McCoy and um and DJ Brown. Um, she's um she's a very pretty full um DJ in Australia. So what
1: was it weird that You said pretty full.
6: Yeah, she's pretty full, <laughs>
1: Hey, what, um, what language do you, do you say things, I mean, this is just a weird question, but do you use words like um, trua, chur, choice and Aussie?
6: Oh, fully. It's funny because um, I'm actually, for radio, I have to really turn on a voice. <laughs> you can be <laughs> honest with God, me, I'm Stan. I'm, I'm a bit lazy today, but... Um, I've just learned how to just, um, I guess, get the radio voice on. Like, yes, it's been quite an amazing journey. So, <laughs> but um, yeah, no, nah, I'm oh, far out. I'm quite rugged, eh? Like, I've, hey, this I've, is real. I got in, I, like, I've got in trouble because I've, you know, they want me to speak English properly. I was like, I oh, am. Hey, this is all an art. Like, you know, they say, oh, you slew your words, you did not pronounce them properly. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> so now nah, I always say that and. Sometimes people don't get me or understand me, but I'm like, uh, well, who cares?
1: So, Stan, let's let's um, talk about uh, the album from the inside out. Can we talk about um, that song "Choose You"? Oh, really—that's a really cool song. And the video, what was it like filming the video for
6: that? Oh, it was me and I. Eh? Um, it was a it was a different um, video because, um, like I had to do heaps of different looks and I had those cornrows. And somebody was saying, "Oh, are those trees?" I was like, "What?" <laughs> Just come out of your head, those are sticking on my head. <laughs>
1: and you've lost, can I say, Stan, that you, I mean, I don't know, I haven't seen you in person, but um, you seem to have lost a bit of weight.
6: Oh, actually.
1: As oh. a male, have you gone skinny? No? It's yes? A bit of a
6: compliment, I've actually put on weight. <laughs> have you? <laughs> yeah. Oh. It's funny because an idol, because I'm on live television, it, um, it really, it makes you put on, it does put ten KGs on you. because yeah. um I'll I'd be on T V one day and then the next day they'd be like, Man, you've lost weight since you did the like the national anthem I did the national anthem for the All Blacks, and they're like, man, you lost weight since then. I was just like, uh, that was last week. <laughs> and I was like, it just makes you look huge on TV.
1: Hey, Stan, probably my, my final question. Um, you know, in the busy life that you lead, travelling, singing, albums, um, you know, produce, um, you know, writing songs and singing, how do you retain your identity with such a cutthroat business such as what you're in, being so kind of one minute you're in, next minute you're kind of out? How do you retain your 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 Māori identity such as like Manaki Tanga and looking after people?
6: Um it's 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 easy for me. Eh? For a lot of people it's a struggle and you know, because it's all about the foundation and the character that you have and like one thing that I've learned is, you know, um your talent will take you so far but your character will take you all the way and because of what I've come from and where I've come out of um to where I am now, it's I'm real strong in my beliefs I'm real strong and and my Maori tanga and I'm real strong, um, you know, and where I come from, and who I am, and that's something that's not a problem for me to ever, um, you know, uphold, and um, and just really represent, because like I love it. It's a, I'm I'm blessed and I'm privileged to be able to be who I am and come from where I come from and and live the life that I'm living now. So, no, nah, I love it, and because of my family, like I've got an amazing support, you know, backbone banner support in my foundation, you know. And I just thank God every day for where I am, so yeah.
0: Kia Sam Walker, and watch out for it. We'll be
1: reviewing the album soon. I'm Mariah Arakaraku. And I'm Justin Murray, and this is Te Ahi Ka. Right now we're viewing on our TV screens elite athletes from the Commonwealth. Now it's a good time to ask, what does it take to be at the top
0: of your game? time. Lots of time, a drive to succeed. You don't get up religiously at five o'clock every day for nothing. The financial cost is a big part of the story, but even bigger is the commitment you need to put in supported by the people around you, be it
1: coaches, friends or whanau. Tūtoa, a Māori sports academy based at Massey University in Palmerston North, requires commitment from staff to students, parents to kids and from the students themselves. Add into the mix a Copa Māori approach and, well, you have a formula for success with a Māori
0: flavour. Tour means to stand strong. After spending a couple of days with the students, anyone would conclude they're well on their way to becoming elite athletes of
1: the future. Maria visited on one of its busiest days of the year at Tūtoa Nepal Orientation, which is part school tour, part training camp, all squeezed into one day, and just like those Saturday mornings. Remember those? when the netball wasn't cancelled when it was raining, as was the case when she visited the Palmerston North Campus. It's wet, it's
0: miserable, and there are teenage girls in one layer of clothing lying on the bloody cold grass.
7: So one of the things you've got to learn to do in a program like this is get yourself physically tough. So when we get into a wrestling situation, you're not helping the person who's small and you think, oh, I'll look after them. You've got to learn to knock them over and teach them to fight back. Alright? Find a partner, hit the head,
8: ready to down.
0: At the moment they're doing drills, which is all part of the conditioning. Physical fitness is an important aspect of entering the two-tour programme. This is the first time they've ever had an orientation for netball. Okay, Yvette McCauls and Jury. Can you just describe what they're doing?
3: It looks quite silly, really, doesn't it? <laughs> I think
9: you know the biggest thing is certainly about applying that intensity, particularly mental and physical, when you're under pressure. We, um, Our biggest thing is about preparing them. We'll play in conditions like this. We're in the middle of a tournament. They've got to know that they can handle the pressure, that the little things that... Um, aren't going to put you off really so you know tackling tackle bags while that doesn't physically have any relation to netball um, the big thing is that they know they can continue at an intensity under really challenging conditions. Yeah because it's raining eh? Yeah it's pouring, it's not good, we've got yeah, a thunderstorm about to come it's <laughs> icy cold, they're wet and they're freezing and they've just got to keep toughening up
0: Now this is all part of the conditioning program eh? The conditioning aspect of the program yeah,
9: each day they have conditioning generally twice a day, one will be Uh, physical session and the other generally netball based either court work or skill work but twice a day um, for four days of the week and then on a Friday they just get one session a day and then of course they've got their weekend netball that they play but yeah it's a really key part for us that being well conditioned uh, makes sure that you can sustain intensity
0: Now you're actually enrolled in the programme here and there how do you find this aspect of the programme, the conditioning? Oh
3: it's quite fun Yeah, we find it fun Yeah, she's extremely passionate about the game, and she's extremely passionate about about these players and that level and what they can achieve. Um, But again, the whole package, not just netball.
0: So for yourself, I mean, do you see talent, more talent in Maori Polynesian kids than non-Maori kids?
3: Um, Sometimes you see, like, um, Maori Pacific Islanders, um school comes out earlier um, there's to me there's there's um, there's talent across everyone it's just what you do to bring it out and who is there to help you uh, to help you bring it out um, but definitely I see yeah it, it, I can see it earlier and say the Pacific Island and Māori kids mm.
0: um, so Colleen are you recognizing future stars here
3: um, would you, from from that session there, like it's good to watch the ones who dig it in and keep going. Um, um, be interesting to see how then it, then transferred into the gym. You Like to see them actually with the netball court specific stuff. But yep. this is quite good to see like the guts and determination, yep. which is what you need on a netball court. You know you you're tired, you've had it, you're buggered, but you just got to keep going because the game hasn't finished yet. I think you you've, um, you've got to get them early because otherwise. If you get them, say, at year 11, they've got, like, bad habits that you've then got to break. Right. Or, like, a change, or um, you find you're doing the basics. But if you can get the basics in earlier, then you can actually go on to more, um, like, difficult stuff. Yeah. So, no, I think, um, I think this age is a good age. But um, with whether you've got juniors or seniors, um, you'd work them differently. Um, like with the juniors knowing that, that, that they're just Year nines and they're just come, coming out of intermediate Like physically, mentally Yeah that's all seniors. Yeah. So, Kind of going through puberty mm, a little yeah, bit yeah. So um, the training programs That these guys do um, would, would take that into account So just, it's kind of made for the age mm, Yeah and even like the network net, specific stuff But um, it's good to have Like the role models to look up to um, the people that have been here one, two, three years, even now, the ones that have left, and have them in your setting so you can see what you could aspire to. Mm. Um, and even with some of the young girls that have been here this year, some of the year nines, the massive change that they've made in eight months. Is can huge. talent plateau? Oh, um, at, um, I think if you put everything in together, um, that might come down to attitude. Um, but conditioning is a big thing behind it. Huge conditioning. If, you've, if you're fit, if you're conditioned, um, and you've got the attitude, you've got the, um, like the brain for the game, the mental attitude for the game, you can do anything. Um,
0: Which you can then apply to anything, mm, not just yeah. necessarily oh, sport. That's it, and
3: it's not just um, what they do here. It's, not, okay, it's, an, it's a netball program, it's also an academic program. It's a school, they're here at school. So netball's not the be-all and end-all. The academic goes alongside it, um, and for them to achieve a netball, they also have to be achieving at school and achieving in their conditioning. Uh, it's not just netball; um, it's just a part of the package. But I agree with you that if you achieve a netball, the things that you learn there, you can actually take to other areas of your life as well.
8: Right. So what are we doing? Okay. Are we setting up for lunch? Um, This is the lunch area and this is Jan and Jenny, our lovely cooks. They've prepared um, lunch for all our um, manahere today. And
10: that area over there is for parents who are going to meet with our current parents and if they have any questions they um, wish to ask them as parent to parent then they can find out um, some information about Tutor. This room is usually our dining room, and um, we're utilising it for that today.
0: Kia ora. Good morning. good morning. Now you, you both provide the lunches eh, for two tour every day. Yeah, yeah. five days a
2: week. Gosh! <laughs> Breakfast and lunch.
11: You're like little blessings. Oh, I don't think so quite. We've got some fault. You know, tails <laughs> at times too. So
0: everything that keeps these um, kids nice and healthy and yeah. full of energy—that's what you guys uh-huh. do. Yep.
11: Does they tell us the sort of things they need for the amount of exercise they're doing for you know each day, and then you know we provide a suitable, nutritious lunch to fill Who's them they? up. Oh, we love it and the kids are wonderful nice to deal children. with and you know they're funny.
0: Do they ever moan that they're still hungry?
11: Well, we're not here when they eat. <laughs> <laughs> I think there are times they don't like necessarily what, what they, they get, eat. but that doesn't matter. That's all they're getting so they have to eat it or starve.
12: I'm just about to give out the snack boxes for our uh, guests. and we've got cr- crackers in. Carrots, with which we have with hummus and stuff, um, cheese, and nuts and raisins. Now,
0: every day you get snack boxes eh?
12: every day at 11 o'clock. Yeah. yeah.
0: And do you always
12: like what's in them? Thank you. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I guess. Sometimes I leave the raisins out, but. Depends If I'm hungry enough, I'll eat everything in it. And the purpose of the of the snack boxes is just to give you guys a bit of energy. Yeah, a bit of energy before lunch because we've got trainings after school, so we
0: have to keep the energy up.
2: Buddy, Mariah, this is my buddy Paige.
0: Oh. Whereabouts have you come from, Paige? Wellington. You guys have been buddying up today because this is the Nepal orientation at two Now, what's the purpose of
12: the buddying
8: up?
2: Just
0: like so. Yeah, I show
12: Paige my, my work and stuff, and then I help her. My, I just pretty much look after her all day. I just make sure that they're always on time to what we're doing, otherwise I'll get in
8: trouble. <laughs> Kia ora, buddy. Hello. What's your name? Nadi.
6: Nadi Chambers.
0: And whereabouts have you come from today?
6: Wairu.
0: Oh! Did you drive down today with your parents? Yep, and my sister. How did you hear about the programme?
8: About it for ages, yeah. Yeah, and it's just amazing to watch
0: them. you keen to get in, be a part of
8: it.
0: Mm, how was it conditioning? Um, it was awesome, I loved it. Have you ever done anything like that before? No, not really. No, yeah, I look pretty hard out, yeah. But you used to lay Well, you know, I. We're now heading back into the lunchroom where parents who already have children enrolled at the tour program are going to meet prospective parents who want their child to go here. So, how did you hear about this program? Um,
7: just from the Nippon Circle, yeah. hmm
0: and you've got two girls yes.
7: yeah.
0: that are interested in attending
7: Tutorial. Mm. what
0: year are they? One's year
7: 11 lecture and year 13
0: oh they're just babies mm. gee you might be a suki papa if they <laughs> come down <laughs> here no
5: that will be right <laughs> <Not> <laughs> you. Oh, no you
0: right. <laughs> in the background Jenny Daly and Jan Cloth are making the lunches as prospective parents enter the room some with younger siblings of the siblings that are interested in enrolling here.
9: Our whānau who have um, come in, what I wanted to do is... I mean, I could tell you lots of things, but at the end of the day, there's some things you kind of just like to ask other whānau, how it works and and (coughs) different questions, some of the experiences that they may have had. So it's an opportunity really informally just to do that. Um, What the students are doing next door is just going through how the classroom works and what the structures are, how they get their book work done, all those sorts of things, setting targets. So there'll be an opportunity later on where we can go down and do that, but I thought it'd be best that the kids get a bit of a sense of what it's about first. But um, at the end of today, we'll also have an opportunity to do a lot more admin stuff, some of the more detailed bits and pieces. And George just got some little individual packs for you to take now, which has got a little bit of info in, particularly an overview of the the philosophies, there's a bit around what the fees are currently, it's always a good question that everyone wants to know about, probably the, the defining question, uh, a little bit there around um, how the day structures and all those sorts of things. Another piece in there is on the Ikaroa netball, it's a part of, for us, a really critical event and something we want to make sure we support, so some of that happens, the timing of it outside, so there's a little in there that's um, on that, and a bit about our ethos and principles, so there's bits of paper there. But
0: and you're the mama of
10: Tasha Lee Stevenson
0: and she's been here for the past year now she came from a kura kaupapa environment did you have any concerns about her transitioning into a mainstream kind of self-monitored environment?
10: yeah just basically um, just whether or not she was going to be able to respond and cope with the actual mainstream work um, just because she hadn't done any of that prior to um, coming to the actual school. So, yeah, there was a concern there for us that, um, whether or not she was going to cope with it or not.
0: And what about her real?
10: Were you concerned um, about that as well? Yes, definitely. Um, because of the fact that Nathan is fluent in Tireo, was a bonus for us and because um, he's reassured that with his work while at um, school, that he would make that effort to speak to those that are fluent.
0: Yeah, because there are a few there girls are, enrolled in the program that are fluent i te reo
10: We have I think currently about four or five yeah. that yeah. are fluent and so yeah, I was stoked with um, his response in regards to maintaining this skill because that's one thing I didn't want her to lose. So um, yeah, awesome.
0: And how's she going in terms of retaining her Reo Māori and just things in terms of kaupapa?
10: Um, well, awesome. She's still stayed on the whole kaupapa and everything. She's, you know, um, she'll have conversations with our komatas at home and whatnot, and be able to respond to their um, conversations and what in Te Reo. So, no, she's doing well in that area. So, do you ha- do you have any younger children?
0: Yes. Okay, so how does she transition when she comes home from the weekly boarding?
10: <laughs> no, she's um, she responds really well when she comes home. She's really relaxed and everything. Um, Leadership-wise, towards her brothers has tr- extremely improved. So this has obviously been beneficial for her coming to. And for, five, and for the household. For the household, yes.
7: Oh, we're doing a series of uh, fitness tests. Um, the biggest part of fitness testing is not necessarily to check what their fitness levels are like, although that's important. What you get a sense of in tests like the previous one, the REIT test, is as much to do with speed and agility as it is to do with energy. And that's what you want to see, is kids who, they might not be at the front, but they're continuing to fight, because then you know you've got something to work with. Mm. And
0: after this process, do you guys end up selecting... Who's going to be in your intake next year?
7: Yeah, selections I mean, selections are always a tough uh, decision, really. One, because you know, you'd know you love to be able to take everybody and our capacity won't allow everybody to be selected. But the other part is about being really clear with people. If it's about high performance, you have to learn to compete. And sometimes, even if you don't make it, we have some girls here who are returning who haven't been selected before, and they're returning. It's a really good message. That you need to see that they are prepared to give it a shot. Because mm, that's life. You don't always get the things you want. It doesn't always happen in a straight line. Uh, and being prepared to work for things sometimes shows more of the aptitude of people. Uh.
0: So at the moment, they're on their elbows and their toes, pushing themselves up, mm. seeing how long they can hold it.
7: Yeah, this is a prone hole, which is a, a test of core strength, so one of the things we do lots of work on, particularly with young girls, but with all athletes who play dynamic sports like netball and other sports of such nature, is that if you've got a really strong core, which isn't a natural thing usually, and particularly with young people, that it allows you to, to be able to contest balls in the air and land and still hold yourself in a nice strong position. It's not, not, nothing to do with the size of your biceps it's nothing yeah. to do with how you cheat. Um.
0: now you know what I'm watching and most of the girls who are still lifted are girls that are currently in the program now that's right Woo. so does the competitive kick kick in
7: yeah, there's a part of it. The other part is that they've been doing it for a long time. So, you know, you would expect that they would be ahead of people who haven't. But what you can already see is some individuals who are prepared to show you that they're going to hang into it. Yeah. yeah. So, we're looking around the room now, you can see young girls who are hurting. You can see it on their face.
0: And she's not even looking around, mm. she's just doing it.
7: Some people come from other sports. I can see a young girl over there who comes from a swimming background, and so she would have done lots and lots of other types of training. They know how to work. And it's a key ethic that you need to have if you want to progress.
0: Now, Nathan, as part of the selection process, do you have individual interviews with each girl?
7: Yeah, we do. Um, we've met with uh, all of these families, although now, given the numbers, um, we bring them in on a day like today. So from here... Uh, Where there's other questions that we need answered, then we'll sit down with their families and provide an opportunity for them to meet with us as much as us meet with them. The key is about getting it right. And so one of the things we've always said about our program, Tutu, is that it's not the answer for Maori education or for education per se. It's just an option. And so one of the key things about options is about making sure that uh, we've got this clear about what we're about, but that people coming to it are clear about what they have to to perform in a program like this, it's mm-hmm. not designed for everybody.
0: Another aspect of Tutor that I've noticed are the team of volunteers and fano that you have around you as staff members to help.
7: Well, and it's a key part to it because what you have here is, you know, if, and if we look at the example of the two wonderful women, Jane and Jenny, who volunteer their time to do all of the meal preparation for our kids they have no connection to this programme except that they like what we do and they like to give. They are wonderful examples uh, for all of us but particularly for young kids to understand that point of um, giving. Mm.
0: You've made the journey from Gisborne to orientation here at Tūtua for mm-hmm. your mokopuna. Yes. It's some distance to come. No,
13: not really. Yeah? No, not, not when it comes to you. Um, you know, because I saw two when they came to Brisbane to the, to the New Zealand Secondary Schools. It was the first Beautiful. i have heard them seen them. When I watched the team there, they were just so awesome. You know, not just the net but the, the off-the-court behaviour, what they did after the game, before the game. It was just really impressive.
0: So is that different to what you've seen before?
13: Yeah, um, well, <coughs> yes, yeah, e- absolutely. Um, you see some of it. In some of the premier teams, in Brisbane, but this you know, when you go away, you do or you know, if you go away. So, yeah, that was really the a team that I saw. And that sort of sowed the seed. up mm-hmm. you know, my mother come in yeah.
0: And how do you feel about it now that you're actually here at the kura, yeah. sitting here watching uh, the orientation? Ever since. Oh, near yeah, her. Nervous for your muckle. Yeah,
13: because we talked. Um, you know, we've talked about it, and we um said that she has to, I mean, you applied to be here. You you have to be chosen to come here. You know, it's a privilege, not a right. Uh, so we've told her she's got to work hard if she wants to come here. Um, then she's got to do it for her. But we're we here to support her you know, to, to make sure she can get that chance. And has she always played nibble? Uh, yep, she's played sport, she's played a lot of sport, netball, um, she plays all sorts of sports too, but netball
0: is a special love of her, so. she ha- Has she been around netball circles for a long he time? A long time. Like, like Māori netball me. or netball? Yep.
13: Marty, she played Marty's first time this year for, um, in the intermediate grade, but, um, you know, as uh, a f- there's a whānau we've been, I was a, a normal member of a... And, and my daughter's know we've been in for quite a while mm.
0: now if your Mukapuna was to get in mm. it means that she would end up boarding here yes. and how would that be for yeah. the whanau nanny teacher <laughs> screwing your face up yeah no, <laughs> no, that was the only you know. Um, but
13: I think she'll be alright because she's used to being away um, <clears throat> she's been with her parents as well she was with her mum and moved around a lot and then she came back to me So she was nine. So I think she'll be alright. It'll I don't be you.
8: Like
13: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. But th- these are the things we have to do, eh? And um, we'll just do them. We'll just do them. Yeah. And make sure that we're yeah, there for her when she needs support, our support. Because it's a whole whānau thing, though. it's not right. just men. It's, it's a whānau commitment. Yeah, it is.
0: So is that because the school has a netball program, or
13: it was actually the structure um, of the school? I liked the idea of correspondence as well. You know, I had a look on, had a look on the website, had a look at a program they run for the kids, um, and it was because really the structure and, and of course the um, the whanau, you know, the whanau, the being Māori. That was a big attraction
12: um, as well. are quite fortunate that a number of the girls that attend Tutor um, are selected into the, the team. So um, we have a huge contingent of Tutor girls that are part of the Māori team for Ikuro as well as parents that, that come and assist as well.
0: Now, is this something that just developed? Uh,
12: definitely. The fortunate thing with Tuto is, as it is seen as a sporting academy, it is, um, I think that relationship, that is imperative that they do form part of it, they are seen as predominantly high performance. And
0: I guess it's also because for them to be part of uh, something that's outside of school, but still supports their school life?
12: Yeah, definitely. It also provides a pathway, um, cause obviously because it's secondary schools, if um, you know they don't make New Zealand secondary schools, there is another pathway in terms of Aotearoa or Maori when they go to the Trans Tasman tournament. So they do have two two opportunities, okay, in, in, in essence, to be able to play at
0: that level. So you're the parent rep who yes. sits on the board of trustees, but you also bring to that your experience with yeah, Ikat on the Board of Ikaroa
12: Kitaraki, So I am the treasurer and that um, as well.
0: So that assists the relationship?
12: Definitely. Um, the fortunate thing with me being in, in partnership with that is that um, for example the girls that come to trial for Tūtōra, they come from out of region and obviously um, we do try and accommodate them as well because we know that they're not going to be around when we do have trials so we'll make sure that the information is passed on. Like, like today, to make sure that they are available to come back for which are happening at
0: the end of this year, in November and December. Natanya, your girl also was a student at a Kura Kaupapa Māori. Did you have any concerns about her adjusting within the mainstream system? Um, well, I've been
12: fortunate that my older son attended a mainstream school, come straight from Kura Kaupapa kaupapa into mainstream and seeing that because they weren't in a uh, mainstream environment they adapted very well um, because it was all new they wanted to know what was going on and, knew this new, and know this new world. So for Renee it was pretty much the same. The fortunate thing with tall was that it was based on Māori principles and philosophy so she was coming across into a small whānau environment into a, the same kind of concept so that, that was a fortunate thing for her.
0: Now, every year, it's not necessarily guaranteed that a student will be accepted into the following year. How does your girl handle that kind of pressure?
12: She's actually been quite, she's probably one of the fortunate ones. When she started here in um, third, she was um, elevated or selected into the team, premier team. So... At third form, she was playing prem ones, and then was also fortunate to play secondary schools. Uh, from that, she was able to go to the Lower North Island secondary schools and so down to New Zealand secondary schools where they had won it. So she's probably one of the fortunate ones where it is part of her lifestyle of um, Māori, being Māori, being coming out of the Papa and sporting like as well. It suits her. So um, for us, it's like just keep going until this pathway uh, remains
8: open for her. It's about getting our girls to become strong independent women I think for, m- for myself and uh, today kids are just let to do whatever and um not driven anymore, no goals. I no, don't understand no the
2: importance of their school years
0: going, going forward.
2: I mean, did you fellas though when you were growing up? No, I didn't even know this place exists, but I was wondering, hey, why didn't we have one of these when, when we were this age? I
8: didn't even know Maldi existed. Oh, yes, I used to play But I mean, Sorry. to have a school
2: like this around would have been a lot for us back in my day anyway. Okay. I would have come here. My parents probably couldn't afford it then, but oh, I still would have wanted to come. Yeah.
8: Yeah. As a parent you want them to have the best with the way the world is like now you know and, and stuff so for me I want her to have the best if we can give that opportunity to her you know at the end of the day she's got to do it um, but as long as we're giving we're leading them forward. Yeah that's right and they've got to taking want as well.
2: From, yeah. No use us living through their lives.
8: But sometimes they need that push. Definitely. Because if they don't have that push, it's sort of like they're left to make those decisions that are that are not so good sometimes.
2: You know, I hear that when they do start here at Tutor, they go over you know, what they want to be when they grow up, set their aspirations from the start, and then they work their way through their goals and help them to get there. And then sometimes, you know, they might decide to change their mind, but they cater for that as well. So yeah, at the moment, my daughter doesn't know what she wants to be or where she wants to go, but. Um just knowing, Hey, wait for me. So, if your
0: girl was to go here, should be a should be a day girl, day student,
2: yes, day student. So what was it grabbing you? Well, I was kind of leaning towards another school before we came here today, but now I'm kind of slightly leaning more again towards Two tours, so. Still balancing it out, I suppose, our decision. What the fees end up being a part of that decision? The fees that they charge at Two tour, yeah, they include um, yeah the uniforms, their training gear. Their books and stationery, the resources they need for correspondence school. She's in this little pamphlet over here, so that's all good. Do you good have membership and lunch? They have lunch and breakfast here as well. So. And the snacks. Snack administration, mm-hmm. conditioning programs, and monitoring, specialised sports support, well, all that, that sort of stuff. So then. to me, that's reasonable. I think tutor would be good for her, um, but I'm just afraid that she may lose some sort of direction in the correspondence way like she might benefit more from a teacher standing in front of yeah. her rather than correspondence school but after listening to a couple of the Fano just before uh, Tania and I think it was the other, Lily's mum um, Kelly I'm not, I'm not that afraid anymore Kia ora ki na Tu A big shout
0: out to all the students at Tūtua, at Massey University in Palmerston North. Yes, Brooke, Lily, that's you. The parents Nathan Jury and Yvette McCausland Jury, Joel McCausland, and the rest of the staff. If you'd like to see photos, do head to our webpage radionz.co.nz
1: forward slash te'ahika. If you're interested in a weekly update of what's coming up in Te'ahika, why not subscribe to our newsletter? you can do that at the website we've just mentioned. I'm Justine Murray. I'm Maraia Rakaraku,
0: and this is Te Ahika. The history of Tananaki Province is steeped in the battles between Māori and colonial forces. There's the people, Te Wadu, Tohuka Te Whetiorongo and the places, Parihaka
1: Waitara all of which was marked by an exhibition at Puke Areki, the Taranaki Museum, called Te Ahi Kā Te Ahi Ka Toro, Taranaki War 1860-2010, Our Legacy, Our Challenge.
4: Kotaranaki te maunga, kotaranaki te te whenua, ko Muru me Kā Tere Moana, ngā marae, ko Glenn Skipper, toko Um Well, I'm the um, uh, Pōtutaki here, I'm the curator of the Taonga Māori Collection, um, which basically means that I, that I look after and manage all of the Taonga Māori within, within Pukeariki.
1: Now, I'm imagining that's not a solo role. You do, do you have um, people to help you with that type of mahi?
4: Uh, well, no, uh, it's my manager, but we have a team of curators. Um, uh, there's five in the heritage team. Um, so we have a um, archives we also, um, of course my role is um, taonga Māori um, social history, uh, pictorial collection and of course our manager yeah. mm.
1: So Glenn we are here at the uh, entranceway of Tia Hikā Toro Taranaki War 1860 2010, this is the exhibition um, tell us about what we are going to expect as we walk through the exhibition today <laughs> mm.
4: <laughs> Well well um, the, the, name of, the name of the exhibition, Te Ahi Ka um Te Ahi Ka, Ro, Te Ahi Ka Toro, um, re- really is, is trying to encapsulate the, the complexity and, and the ongoing battles that we have um, as, as iwi Māori within Taranaki. Um, and, and it's emphasized in there with the Taranaki War 1860 right through to 2010, uh, right through to today. Um, and our legacy, our challenge—that's that's what we're really trying to ask people. You know, how do we move forward from this? Um, how do we um, look at the injustices, uh, look at the issues, and actually move forward as a as a nation from here on?
1: And boy, were there some injustices, weren't there?
4: Well, Len? well, yeah, that's right. Um,
1: None. No, no, it's not. I, I can I assume I haven't been in it, but it's not light-handed at all. We're about no. To-
4: Taranaki was, um, is overrepresented I suppose um, when it comes to those injustices around around the, um, the land walls issues in most places around the country if there were um, Pakanga, if there were war, the, uh, they, last, they were very short, maybe a year, maybe two, maybe even three years. Um, we suffered for over 20 years um, with the, the first war. Uh, the the second uh, the first war in North Taranaki the, s- the second war in the South Taranaki and then um, almost 20 years later um, the second and the second of Parihaka so many many layers yeah huge effects on 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 all of the iwi within our within um, the Taranaki area mm. and um, that and that's I suppose that's the exhibition um, it's split up into into three areas. Um, the first area being um, looking at um, leading up to the first war um, in North Taranaki. Uh, the second area um, looking at the South Taranaki Wars. And and then on to Parihaka. And the third area um, looking at uh, the future, the ways forward. Where are we now and how do we move forward from here?
1: Glenn. okay. Without further ado, let's um, make our way to the uh, to the exhibition. Goodbye.
4: As we enter down into the um, the exhibition space, you'll notice these um, horizontal um, beams are laying across the top of the exhibition here, and that's to kind of signify the trench, the trenches, and the trench warfare. You feel like you're the the corridor quite narrow here. You feel like you're inside a trench, and you and you. And it's, um, it's designed us to make people flow in one direction, to, to feel like you, you know, you're actually forced to, in order to, to move in this direction.
1: On the walls right now in front of us, we've only taken um, you know, a few steps down into the um, exhibition. Where does the Taranaki War story start?
4: In Taranaki, um, there were actually um, battles before the war. Um, the first military um, exercise ever in Aotearoa happened in South Taranaki. There is a there was a history of conflict, even before the, what they what we now consider the, the New Zealand Wars. Um, the the first two um, the first two objects we have here one being a tauihu and one being a figurehead. Yeah. Yeah. So the f- the first um, um, two two items one being a prow from one of the waka that Whirinaki um, um brought back when they when when the um, t- when Te Ate Awa returned back from the Wellington region. Um, there were four. There were four Walker, and, and this is so. This is one of the prow from from that Hikoi back, and and a figurehead, a masthead from the um, from the HMS Eclipse. Yeah. So, uh, w- which was um, one of the one of the um, navy vessels which um, patrolled up and down the coastline here during the wars. Okay,
1: so we're going to move our way through the. I've got to say, these trenches there. Um, they've got like a red light under them. It's very effective, Glenn.
4: Yeah. Well, well it, uh, it's, it carries on that theme. of call diahika, and um,
1: does the red stand for any, signify anything? Well,
4: just just that. Um, you know, the fires, the fires, the constant fires that are burning right. still. Yeah, and um, you know, the, just the the darkness of it. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: And of course, we have a video um, playing here.
4: Uh, yeah, well, yes. This is this is kind of covering the the, the, the first incident that I talked about before with the Harriet, um, um, which was a schooner which was uh, shipwrecked off the South Taranaki coast, and and some of the um, uh, some of the passengers there were um, held by the lo- by the by the locals, um, and um, which sparked um, the. The husband of of the one of the women that was um, being held um, went back to Australia, and they came over with a um, warship, um, the HMS Alligator, and fired upon Ngāti and New That's the first incidence of a military attack, yeah, within within Aotearoa. So now we've kind of we've passed through the the beginning of the of the New Zealand Wars. Um, and on, we have photographs here of some of the some of the early, uh, not in photographs but paintings of some of the early settlers. The, some of the early um, depicting some of the hui's, some of the documents that were that have been signed um, around um, land deals, um, deed of purchases, and other things like the Fitzroy Pole, po, the Poutu um, which was a signal um, that our tūpuna placed up to say that from this boundary on, no Māori land would be sold, mm. um, which, is now, which is now still still there today on, on, the, um, on the very edge of um, New Plymouth.
1: Fitzroy's poll in, uh, close to Bell Block, that's where that pole
4: situated. Yes, yep.
1: And could you just read that out for me, please, um, Glenn, on the wall? What's this little statement from?
4: This is the uh, martial law um, edit. Um, now I, the governor do hereby proclaim and declare that martial law will be exercised throughout the said province from the publication thereof within the province of Taranaki. So, yeah, so that was um, Governor Thomas Gore-Brown, um, 1860. Um, that was um, in response to Wirimukingi um, Te Rangitake's people um, pulling up um, the, the survey pegs and, um, and then they declaring martial law and, um, and landing uh, 460 odd troops um, on the beaches of, of Waitara, of the Pika, what they call the Pika Pika block.
1: So, as part of the Taranaki Wars exhibition, we arrived to. There are various different um, means of um, media, such as TV, video, and we're here at a touch screen. Just explain what this does, please, Glenn.
4: Uh, as you enter New Plymouth now, um, the, um, the new bypass, th- which goes past Bell Block, as you come yeah. towards uh, New Plymouth from from the north, um, that new road, and when they put it through, went through an old pass site, and so before they could do the road, they did a uh, major excavations there, and this this um, interactive uh, touchscreen interactive um, has put together all of the um, information that was found out about that land there. And there there were multiple. Um, Kainga there, and it kind of tracks the the evolution of the kainga from an open kind of kainga and through the stages of the first wars, and through the stages of the um, what they call the um, Puketapu feud, which was a feud between um, pro-selling Maori and
2: Again well, yeah anti no, yeah,
4: selling Māori, yeah so the kāinga changed over time. Um, there were fortifications put up there were and in a later date uh, which they were able to kind of find out from the from the different um, sediments or whatever you know um, that they, they they then changed it into um, the ability f- to fight muskets yeah so so more changes ha- happened, and then post um, conflict. Um, the All of the um, palisading was pulled down, and it became a, a bigger con again. All of that information was basically all under the ground. We knew that there was a pass site right there, but there was nothing there was literally nothing left it was farmland and it was only really through this this process of them wanting to put a road through there that then they had to go through and do all this um, yeah, do all this um, excavation. Yeah, ex- yeah, excavation and surveying off and and trying to quantify and look at what they actually had there and it turned out to be you know quite an amazing amount of um, information so so, so you can actually so so if you
1: want to touch the screen there
5: this landscape situated to the north of new plymouth which is now being cut through by the motorway bypass was discovered by archaeologists to have once been the site of Te Oro Puniri Park, named after the indigenous puniri trees still standing as leftovers from the native bush in the
1: so area. So what are we seen here, Glenn?
4: Uh, yes, so the, so the screen's now um, doing a fly-through, um, um, rotating around the, 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 fortifications, the fortifications, the, the Pātū Watawata,
5: feet,
4: um, and then shooting shooting over the top to give a plan view. Man,
5: yeah.
1: architecture the the is just... I mean, we were, Māori people were clever people, weren't they? Yeah,
4: yeah. well, of course, you can see how they managed um, the different areas. You can see where the different whāre were placed as opposed to where they were, they were going to um, have stock or have, have their māra. Um, the yeah. direct result
5: of the effects of land tenure and the subsequent land wars.
1: Okay, we'll move on.
7: Moving around with our people locally and both, uh, you know, on a national basis, Uh, no-one seemed to know anything about it. Uh, It wasn't until uh,
4: we had dug uh, quite a bit of it up.
1: So who is this uh, talking now, Glenn?
4: This this is Grant uh, uh, Nucky, who was the chair of um, the Pukitabu Hub? It seems to be that
7: um, it was a generation, I suppose, uh, some of the people we may have lost during the Second World War might have had that knowledge, or um, somehow people... Uh, who, Whakapapa back here, for some reason, uh, lost that knowledge.
1: So, Glenn, do we know if um, during the excavation of this um, highway, if any um, koiwi were found?
4: Uh, no, no, no koiwi were found. Um, the major.
1: So it wouldn't have been an urupa site. No,
4: no. There's actually there's an urupa further to the um, to the south, yeah, which which is still intact, yeah.
1: Kapai. Okay, so we're moving through the uh, Taranaki Wars exhibition here at Pukeariki Museum. I'm with the Māori curator, uh, Glenn Skipper.
4: So we're just passed some of the um, taonga that we um, associate with the wars um, a toki and a, and a tiki, which are associated with uh, Wurumukingi. And up here we have some profiles of some of the major players um, leading up to and, and around the wars. Um, Dicky Barrett, who was a um, a whaler and who who married into the local um, community here, Woodamoo Kingitirangi Tāke, Sue Duncan Cameron, uh, Te Ua Hominere, uh, Pa Old Kate, and Reverend John uh, Frederick uh, Riemsschneider.
1: So it says in this... Um um, Nation builders. These are just a few of the many people who have created the Taranaki and New Zealand we know today.
4: Uh, now, I suppose some of the some of the key things is that we that we really wanted to portray in, in the exhibition was just the personal aspect. Um, without that personal aspect, well, we, we need to touch people on a, on a very personal level. Um, it's a very personal story for for a lot of people. So, so. As we move through into this into this next area, you start to see some of the some of the artefacts, I suppose, of um, of people whose lives were were encapsulated in this in this conflict, of people who lost um, um, taonga during that time, and of people who who gained a, a massive of taonga. So, yeah, that, those personal stories, some diaries, Ooh, and diaries. other. Yeah, other other things, you know, of, of a personal nature, so that we can tell you know we can tell real stories about real people.
1: So this
4: is the end. This is the end of of the of what we're calling the first Taranaki War, um, where there were some conflicts um, around the New Plymouth area. Um, some some settlers' uh, artifact here um, from the. Sorry, from the um, from the Jewry Farm, um, which was one of the which was a farm just um, south of, of New Plymouth here. And um, has had some excavations done on that on that farm as well, where the old homestead was and, and part of that was the old was the front door key.
1: <laughs> where whereabouts would you find the jury farm? Is it um, the in... jury
4: farm is on our way to o- Oakura, um, just um, on the other side of Ōmata, just, just south of, of New Plymouth. Yeah. So the Juries um, actually still own that farm, um, but during the um, during the war, they, they evacuated into New Plymouth, and some of their, their house and some of their, their land was um, used um, during during one, for one of the conflicts. Eight
5: kilometres southwest of New Plymouth is the historic site of Waitaka Hill. On the wall in front of you is a photograph of the hill as it appears today with its commanding views down to the coast and towards New Plymouth. Turn the screen to see how the scene looked in the mid-1800s and learn about the chain of events that took place there that culminated in the first Taranaki land war of
4: 1860. So this is another digital uh, format um, and it's inter- another interactive, but um, where, it's, where it differs from the other is that the screen can be turned and so it pans along the landscape and oh. and shows the different things um, that may be over on the left and and other things which may be over on the right. Yeah. So you just grab these handles and you just swing it I'm around.
5: And and the,
4: and the of view the changes as you move.
5: On the wall in front of you is a photograph of the hill as it appears today, with its commanding views down to the coast and towards New Plymouth.
4: So same thing as, as the other one um, as you as you touch screen as you, as you touch things, um, they pop up and give you more information about about the objects that you 're looking at
1: so now we 're entering the second part of the exhibition Glenn?
4: Yes, yeah, so this is the second Taranaki War, uh, which began in eighteen sixty three and finished in eighteen sixty six um, which which encompassed the South Taranaki um, area. So um, we start here with the um, with some some of the propaganda, which was so, printed so
1: in the, the the then newspapers. Yep,
4: Taranaki Punch. If there was a dirty war, this was the dirty war. Um, this is the war. the 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 North Taranaki um, battles were were military versus who were going out and trying to knock over um, past sites. Right. When it came to the South Taranaki war. That's when they went out and that's when the, yeah, the dirty stuff really started happening. And when you, you say know. dirty, what do you mean? Um, you know, the targeting of kainga, um, the targeting of industry, um, the targeting of crops. Um, basically, the targeting of, of the, the systems which hold together the iwi. Yeah. So if the iwi can't eat, the iwi can't fight.
1: And so, in front of us, when you talked about uh, propaganda, Glenn, there are illustrations from newspapers that are really degrading to the Māori people.
4: Yeah, I mean, propaganda is always is always one of those things that's going to be used, isn't it? and there was a lot of um, there was a lot of propaganda used. There was, I mean, the, the punch was was a regular newspaper, and and as as would be expected, it, it was it was a great tool. It was a great tool to. Um, to rally their troops, I suppose, mm, yeah mm.
1: so um, Glenn talked earlier about the dirty war, and we have a a, a, um, a picture on in the exhibition. The war gets dirtier, conflict escalated, and what most people now call the second Taranaki war was on. The New Zealand government recruited military settlers to fight alongside British Imperial troops and settlers in Taranaki. They were working men, often from Otago and Australian goldfields, who were promised a decent-sized plot of land at the end of their service. Increasingly, the government adopted a scorched-earth policy. Tell us about that, Glenn.
4: They're attacking and burning, um, killing, looting, and um, doing these things in Kāinga. Scorched-earth policy. It's It's... It's an attitude that that I suppose hasn't been forgotten by our people.
1: Would you say this war was the most hurtful? I know war is war, but no,
4: no, no. I would say that um, that the Parihaka invasion was was probably the most damaging. Yeah. Um, I I think you see that that the resilience of our people um, was still very very strong, and Parihaka was an adaptation and a showing of that resilience. But by the time the um, parihaka, you know, the post-parihaka, um, the Māori landscape was far, far different. Um, by the post-parihaka, our people could really see that actually you weren't, you know, you actually weren't allowed to be Māori. The first, the first war was, yeah, had, 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 I suppose, a very little effect on, on the way we did things. Uh, as Māori, the second war was um, targeted against uh, diff- different uh, iwi than the first, but still the resilience was there. Afterwards, um, we still had land, even though it had been confiscated. We, it hadn't been taken, um, hadn't been physically taken. Uh, we were still in possession of it. Uh, we still had all of our customs and our beliefs. They were still strong within our kāinga. Um, but post Parihaka, those things were gone, those things were smashed. And you see, I, I think you see when you look at our, um, at our um, leadership, the last real leaders we had came from those people who were, who were young from the Parihaka times. From there, um, there, was, there was no infrastructure to bring, those, to bring people through to, to make them leaders. Um, the infrastructure was gone.
1: Hemihiteena kia Glen Skipper, Pau Taataki Mari at Puke Ariki Museum in Taranaki. And for photos of the exhibition, which has now closed, you can head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. In an upcoming program, we'll hear from Eva Heinger. In the
0: meantime, here she is with this week's Whakatauki.
3: Tumu paria, rako paria, vanui te kiatani ward off post and weapon so that the broadway to tani is opened up. Um, this means to me, even though we may come across obstacles in our lives, uh, we can always find a way to overcome them. Kua hikurangi te mana, kua ko Ko te awa māpera ko farepunga ngā hapū ko um, hiruharua ko te awa māpera ko te mate ngā hapū ko hiruharua ko farepunga ngā marai ko iwa hanga tōku
0: Next year, with the thousands of visitors expected in Aotearoa for the Rugby World Cup, one man is, well, kind of taking advantage of the opportunity
1: and to introduce them to te Reo Māori. Paul Ransfield admits he's a bit of a techno geek, and with the help of Doug Hodaki, he's producing hundreds of key Māori phrases to learn online. He's up next week, along with a review of the
0: 99AD album, the latest and final album from nisha Mystic. Kinafana nga whanau atu toa he mihi mai oha. Tau, tapu tapu, kia te whanau atia hi kā,